Welcome to the Eclectic Readers Book Club on Sunrise Robot, where survival without books would be insufficient. I'm Tara. I'm Susan. And I'm Jeanette. How are you guys? Good. <laughs> um, things are winding down. David was in London for two weeks. So um, that craziness has calmed down. And uh, so that means wonderful, wonderful presents from London. And uh, our anniversary is coming up. So he also got me presents for that. So <laughs> Aww. Aww. I'm guessing a lot of Harry books. Potter stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I just, awesome. I just love that. Um, everything here is going pretty well. We're getting closer to baby date. I'm really, really sad. This is going to be like my last. I've never missed a regular episode before, and so this is the last one before I take my podcast maternity leave. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of lonely in that way. It's like, oh, I won't record. (laughs) No. That's we'll okay. be thinking about you. Yeah. We'll be thinking about you. We'll mention you all the time and give you tons of shout outs. But at least I will be like, you know, able to sit with baby and read her all the, you know, baby books and sit with my Kindle and that'll be fun. Yep. Yeah. There's good things about it. It's just a crazy thought. <laughs> it's it's <Aww>. definitely different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about you, Tara? How are you doing? Well, um, David just got back from London. Tomorrow I'm heading to London. (laughs) Um, I've been on a traveling whirlwind uh, personally. I just got back from London after two weeks also, and I'm heading back. So um, I'm great. I'm great. But, you know, keeping busy, keeping busy. Um, And I'm really, really getting excited about Book Riot Live uh, next month. So uh, Meredith and I are going to be going to that, and it's going to be great. Can't wait. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. So jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Again, we'll be thinking of you. (laughs) Just if you get a chance to talk to the Book Riot, you know, organizers. I mean, I know we talked to Jen. If anybody hasn't listened to that interview, they should because it's awesome. But like, you know, maybe suggest not doing it so close to my husband's birthday and then I can go next year. (laughs) I'll just be like, hey, I know you plan this multi-million dollar event every year, um, but, you know, we would really appreciate if you moved it like two weeks. Or just just go with one week, you know? He'll obviously love Book Riot Live, Jeanette. Um, We talked about his Harry Potter reading habits, right? Oh, right, right, right. (laughs) Yeah. But no, it's, it's going to be fun. Hopefully I get to go next year. Yeah. For sure. Crossing my fingers and my toes. Yeah. <laughs> but in the meantime, let's talk about what we're reading now. So what are you reading now, Susan? Um, I am reading a book called Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. And um, it's for my local book club this time. So that's exciting. It's... um. I can't quite remember the synopsis off the top of my head. Shame on me. But um, it's about this guy and uh, his life is just suddenly changing. Um, he, he has like a great job. He has a wife. He has a kid. And then all of a sudden he's kidnapped and like just the world that he knows, it just completely changes. So I'm only like 5% into it or something like that. Um, not, lo- not much, um, but it's really good. Like it just really grabs you at the beginning. So, yep. What are you reading, Tara? So I am reading something in preparation for Book Right Live because we have to read all the books, of course, for everyone who's going to be there. Um, and I'm in the midst of reading All the Books in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders. And Charlie, um, I've known about her for a long time. She was the editor-in-chief of io9.com, which is a great nerd site. Holla, nerds. I see you. I love you. Um, And this book is, I mean, I'm not very far into it, but it's really been good so far. Um, It's about childhood friends, Patricia and Lawrence. um, And they... um, get to see each other again after parting ways due to mysterious circumstances in high school. Um, And after all, the development of magical powers and the invention of a two-second time machine could hardly fail to alarm one peers and families, right? Right? So anyway, it's it's a really interesting sort of... um, 
it, it's almost magical realism and it, it, it's 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 really really interesting premise and I'm really enjoying it so far um and the main part of the book really is about them as adults but I haven't gotten there yet um so I'll let you guys know what I think about it um next podcast yeah but so far I'm really enjoying it yeah, I've heard mixed things about that, so I'm really curious to see how you like it in the end. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I know um Meredith mentioned she liked how it started too, so yeah. It'll be good. What about you, Jeanette? What are you reading? Um, I am trying to get myself in, you know, an October y kind of mood. Uh so I've picked up a mystery. This time I've got T is for trespass. It's part of the Sue uh Grafton Kinsey Milholm mysteries. Ooh. Yeah, this one, I'm a little... I haven't gone very far. I'm only, like, maybe two chapters into it, three chapters into it. But um, a little nervous about, because in this one, she's dealing with um, the criminal, I guess. That's the best way to describe her. The criminal is somebody who, so far, has stolen somebody's identity. And I believe is going to use that stolen identity to um abuse like her job taking care of like the elderly and i'm that sounds doesn't that sound awful so yeah it really does sounds it's very sounds very very creepy which you know is great for an october mood but you know i i I want the detective to wrap this up quickly (laughs) (laughs) you're like i don't want elderly to be abused no stop i don't want anybody to be abused i honestly thought you're gonna say it had to do something with sharks I really thought you were going to make a fish reference, and then you you went into something serious. I'm like, oh, that is not where I thought it was going to go. <laughs> no, I, I read I read Jaws. Uh, that's the no, last no. shark book I read. I, I think I'm good for the next ten years at least. I'm so that proud was ten of years you. ago. <laughs> that was ten years ago. Uh, well, there you go. Well, you know, one book about fish, man. That that's a big step for you. Big hey, step. I, I read Moby Dick last year, and that one's about a whale. That's not a fish. <laughs> I know that. I know it's not that a fish, matter, but it is. It? it is a large sea creature, and you no, know, I know how I feel about large sea creatures. I know, still not or a any fish. sea creatures. All <laughs> sea I creatures. never said he was a fish. It said he was a whale. I know what so. whales are. <laughs> are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> are you positive? All right, calm Do down, you? biologist. All right, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> Our general book talk. <laughs> All right, so this month we've been reading um, um, Station Eleven, a lot of which really uh, revolves around and relates to Shakespeare, so we thought this would be a good time to talk about some uh, favorite Shakespeare plays and favorite Shakespeare-inspired or Shakespeare-related productions or moments. So, do you want to start off, Tara? I know that you are dying. I'm literally <laughs> doing talk. a little shimmy over here. You have no idea, guys. I'm so excited. I'm doing a little Hillary Clinton shimmy. Maybe I should woo. I don't know, but I'm pretty excited. Um, Record yourself, make a gif, and we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Done. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. Um, okay. So, um, most of you, if you're longtime listeners, probably know that Jeanette and I are huge Shakespeare nerds. Like, huge so very huge when this came up i was like yes finally our time has come we have risen anyway um so of course and i shouldn't say of course but my favorite tragedy of all time was shakespeare's hamlet i love hamlet i know it's typical guys i know but it's it's freaking good okay um and my favorite comedy is twelfth night i love twelfth night and my favorite adaptation of Twelfth Night would be the Helen Bottom Carter version, um, which is not like a neat or cool adaptation. It's or something aspired. It's like literally a direct play version. But if you've never seen Twelfth Night and don't have a chance to go to a theater version, that's probably the version I would recommend you go see. It's so so good. Um, and my favorite. Okay, so. We're supposed to tell you a favorite moment or a favorite inspiration, and I'm going to go ahead and give you both (laughs) because, like I said, I've been waiting for this, like, a long time. So, um, my favorite moment is Jeanette and I used to do this thing. Um, 
in college where when we were taking Shakespeare classes, we'd go to a coffee shop or sit in our dorm room and we'd read the play out loud. We'd assign parts to each other and then we'd read the play, which was great, um, including all the weird looks we'd get. But I mean, really, Shakespeare's supposed to be heard out loud. So it really, I think, helped me and my understanding of Shakespeare as we're going through that process. And then, Not to um, mention, the coffee drinks were spectacular. Oh, so good. They were, so And they were all named after famous artists, which was really uh, cool. When that place closed, I cried. But it was... <laughs> that <laughs> place sorry, was let, you, let you continue with your story. You're like, you're like, aside, this coffee place was super awesome. It I was. just felt like they needed deserved a shout out, you know. <laughs> um, and then that summer, after that, our, we started our Shakespeare classes, Jen and I decided we didn't really want to stop that tradition. So every Wednesday, we went to a coffee shop. <laughs> And picked a random play, and started re- and started reading it, um, which was awesome. And my mother to this day doesn't let me live that down. We called it Wordy Wednesdays, and she'll still bring it up to this day because she just thinks I'm a nerd with a capital N. And I mean, I am, but I mean, you know, can't escape family, right? Um, and my second thing, though, my favorite like weird adaptation or um, inspiration from Shakespeare would be the Tom Stoppard play Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, which takes place during Hamlet from the perspectives of minor characters, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And it is freaking hysterical. We read a Tom Stoppard play. I don't know if everybody remembers it. Arcadia, Susan, Jeanette, you remember reading Arcadia for the Mm -hmm. book club? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we read that, um, I would say, about three years ago. Yeah, 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 something around that. Um, And Tom Stoppard has just an amazing, dry, quick wit humor. Um, And and Rosa Cancer Gillistrand is no exception. And having it take place during a very familiar um, play, it's... it's just, it's perfect. There's also a really great movie adaptation for that. So check that out. <sighs> Have I taken up enough time, guys? Have I? <laughs> um, <sighs> Susan, what do you think? <laughs> well, I get to keep it short, so <laughs> it works out. <laughs> um, honestly, I haven't read a lot of Shakespeare. I mean, you mentioned it before, Tara. Shakespeare's meant to be heard. Um, and for me, that's... That's with most all plays. Um, I usually don't like to read plays. I want to look at it on stage or on screen or in some form of adaptation where I get to watch what's going on. Um, So I haven't really read a lot of plays and definitely not really a lot of Shakespeare. But um, one that I always love and I, you know, would read is A Midsummer's Night Dream. Um, It's a good one. Yeah, I just, I love it. It's just a good touch of whimsical and funny and some seriousness. I, I It's well-rounded for me, so I like it a lot. Um, I haven't really watched a lot of adaptations, but one thing that did come to my mind was, you guys remember the 90s cartoon Gargoyles? Yes! Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was so hoping someone was going to bring this up. Um, loved the show. I they did so well in bringing those characters into that world of the world of Shakespeare. I was just totally in love with it. <laughs> um, so it just, I, I think that's, it's not a necessarily like, you know, book to word adaptation, but I think they got the characters right. So um, yeah, that's one thing that just stands out to me is the show Gargoyles, because I love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) It's a really good show. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) How about you, Jeanette? Uh, Well, picking a favorite comedy was easy. My favorite comedy is Twelfth Night, hands down. I love that play. I loved reading that play, and that play came out around the time that um, the movie She's the Man with, um, I want to say, Amanda Bynes came out. And so, of course, we're reading it for class and constantly quoting the tagline, which was phenomenal, so I had to pull it up for our listeners. Because it basically describes the play exactly. Well, it describes the movie exactly, too. But in the most convoluted, silliest way possible. And so I quote, 
Duke wants Olivia, who likes Sebastian, who's really Viola, <laughs> whose brother is dating Monique, so she hates Olivia, who's with Duke to make Sebastian jealous, who's really Viola, who's crushing on Duke, who thinks she's a guy. <laughs> and that is exactly the way they would say it in the commercial. It was hilarious. Oh, my God. I love that. You used to say that <laughs> constantly in our dorm room, too. You used to... Just- I had that memorized. Um, College was a silly time, guys. (laughs) And um, as for favorite tragedy, I don't know that I really have one. I've seen or read most of the tragedies, but I don't know that I really have a favorite. I think they just hit me too deep. I'm so sad or moved at the end of them. Um, I've seen some really, really good adaptations, though. One of my favorite... um, one of my favorite adaptations was when um, Tara and I went to go see Titus Andronicus, and we had oh. to move around these old ruins, and it was very, very creepy, perfect for Titus Andronicus. It was during October now. It was like during it was. this time period, too. It was around fall. It yeah. was the Chesapeake um, Shakespeare, Shakespeare Company, Company did that yeah. one. Yeah, in the yeah. ruins. It was so good. Shout out to them. You guys are awesome. Yeah, and they moved, like, each scene, you moved to a different area of the ruins, and it was just... Very creepy, very cool. Yeah, um, yeah. But Ugh. as far as my favorite adaptation, I mean, I've seen so many. That's really, really hard. But I'm going to go with a classic and say 10 Things I Hate About You. Ooh. Because that is one of the first <laughs> ones that I really loved. That one is a good one. It's so good. I mean, not my favorite Shakespeare play in general, but yeah, maybe one of my favorite adaptations. I mean, <sighs> rest in peace, Heath Ledger's smile. We'll miss yeah. it forever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah it was so what good. about your least favorite Shakespeare tragedy then? If you can't come up with a favorite, what's your least favorite? Oh, I don't know. Because, I, I mean, I think that's why it's so hard for me to come up with a favorite is they're all really, really good and really, really impactful in their own way. So, but I actually haven't seen all the... Shakespeare tragedies. So maybe it's just one I haven't seen yet. Fair. There's, I think there's, I think there's two or three that I still haven't seen. Nice. So, yeah. So, all right. Enough with the Shakespeare talk. For now. Sorry, Susan. No. <laughs> Until We're we start talk talking about, about a Shakespearean act- actor. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's fine. I do like Shakespeare. I just haven't had a chance to, you know, delve into his world too much. Um, one day, one day soon, maybe. <laughs> but today will not be that day. Um, we are going to go way into the future and talk about Station Eleven. So uh, let me give you a short summary here. Um, the story is centered around an actor, Arthur Leander, his death and the world ending. We see how the world is, ends, and survives with the people that have been part of his life. Uh, Clark, his best friend, Jeevan, his rescuer, Miranda, his first wife, Kirsten, a young actress who worked with Arthur when he died, Um, and after the Georgian flu hits, they must survive in their new life any way they can. So, what was one thing that stood out to you guys in this book? Oh, man. One thing. I hate this question. I hate this question every time. Um, It's a good question. question. (laughs) Um, I, I love the pace. So um, as you mentioned, your synopsis, it goes back and forth through time. It goes back and forth through people we're concentrating on and looking at. And it all comes together in this, to me, this really magical and almost perfect way as a description of what happened to this time period, what happened to these people, how these people lived through this, got through it, and how society continues to move on. And all of these different people really represent... Um, a specific thing about what we've lost or what we can continue on having even after such a horrible event occurs. And um, I just, I mean, guys, I, the pacing was beautiful. If you've, if you have not read this, but have read the night circus, it's very similarly. um, It it has a very similar structure. Um, And I just really, really love that, that structure. It's hard to pull off. And when it's pulled off, it's magic. And it was magic here. How about you, Jeanette? Um, I would agree. I really enjoyed it. Um, there's one thing that Tara said that really, like, is what stands out to me. When I had heard about this book, um, I was 
it was kind of described as, you know, what happens in this post-apocalyptic society and how it jumps back and forth. And so I really thought it was going to be about, you know, the world ending, the world changing. And it's really not about that. And so when Tara is talking about, it's about what survives and what we can still have. Like each person represents that piece of humanity that we're going to carry along with us. That was what really stood out to me is that it's not about the world ending. It's about the world continuing. Mm -hmm. And that it was just so fascinating. It was so much more interesting than another end of the world book, I think would have been. Yeah, I agree. Um, For me, it's along the lines of you guys. um, Very, I loved how well created the characters were. Um, They were so well thought out and I just really felt for each of them in their different way with their situation. Um, I was really blown away. Like I just really felt for these characters and I was just like, okay, what's happening next? What's happening to you guys? You can't, you can't, you know, cut to this character. I need to find out about him. (laughs) Wait, I need to find out more about her. Don't, don't like pan away from them. (laughs) So, um, it was, it was really good. I liked it a lot. Um, so, and from what we're saying, it seems like this book is very much a character-driven novel and not a plot-driven novel. Um, would you think this book would have worked the other way around? I mean, could there have been a plot-driven novel about this book where we followed a certain set of characters throughout a specific plot? Sure. I think it would have completely changed the tone and the point of the novel. Um, I think that this structure, like I said, really, really worked for what she was trying to get across, Mm -hmm. which, um, as Jeanette said, you know, is all about, you know, what you take with us and what, how society can still survive after even the horrors of unimaginable tragedy. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it could have been, but I I loved it. I know some people in our IRL book club, um, didn't like the fact that there wasn't distinctly one main character or one distinct plot line to follow. Um, but for me, I think that, you know, it, it works for the point of this book. And like I said, I, I, I thought it was magic. So Right. Well, I mean, because throughout the book, you get hints of the prophet. Do you, do you think the prophet would have been mentioned a lot more if it was a plot-driven novel? Like oh. that would have been like the main baddie? God probably and yeah. I and I don't like him at all. So, yeah, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, great antagonist, right? But like, I feel like I got just enough of what I needed from him to service oh, yeah. the yeah, point of the definitely. book. Like, I did not need more. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. I think the problem with making this a plot-driven novel would be that you would lose a lot of the themes that are present in the novel as it is about the characters themselves, about their connections with each other, about humanity and society, and, you know, the way that changes or doesn't change as they have to survive in this world. And so I think if you had taken all these characters and just put them in a plot, you would have basically been following probably one or two characters mainly, and you would have lost a lot of that. And right. that, what, I think, is what makes the story so rich. They probably right. Kirsten and the prophet, right? That's who you would have followed yeah, probably. through this book. Yeah, Like, as them as young kids and then grown up to be who they are. And it wouldn't yeah. have been a bad book. Like, that no. probably sounds pretty interesting, you know? But, uh, but it wouldn't but it have would, been this book. No. Yeah. Yeah, you would have lost Miranda. Oh, Miranda. Um, you My would, bae. <laughs> I don't think you really would have seen much of Jeevan. No. At all either. Or any. Uh, except maybe in the very beginning. Yeah, you would see Arthur in the beginning and then you'd see Clark at the end. And yeah. you wouldn't have seen Clark as um, as deeply. Right. No, and no, his influence sure. as thoroughly. Yep. You would have had like a few interactions with the prophet in the beginning when he was a kid with Clark and then mm-hmm. not till the end with Kirsten. And it would have been a nice like... All, what comes around goes around sort of a situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when t- you wouldn't know him, know him. Right. And he's such an important character to me, guys. I love Clark <laughs> and Miranda. And, and despite the fact that like all these characters, they are interconnected in different ways. They're also 
um, distanced in enough ways that you can see some of the um, the impact that this is having in different places, different kinds of people, different lives. Yes. And I think you would have lost a lot of the widespread impact of the Georgian flu and the tragedies that were happening mm-hmm. by just focusing on a couple of characters. I agree. Or focusing on one plot. Yeah, I agree. Because I love that this takes place like before, during, and just after. Like I feel like that's such an important thing for this book. Like, Right. Yeah, I love I the time Completely agree. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. Um, so then did you guys enjoy how she the author jumped through time with the characters? Um, did you have an issue with the pacing? Um, so like I just said, I love the time. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I, no, right. <laughs> um, I, I like that they give us slices of life of these people before, like, like I said, the tragedy happens. Um, I, I like getting it all. I really have almost nothing bad to say about this book. I don't know if this is be probably pretty problematic throughout this, um, but I really have very little bad to say, um, if anything. Um, the pacing, I think what you're referencing there is that some people feel like the end was rushed, maybe. Mm-hmm. That's what um, I heard. I think the end was beautiful. Again, I think I just got enough profit. I don't need more. I was happy <laughs> with, with where that ended up. Um, but... Uh, you know, I think ending with seeing the lights, just a little bit of light out in the distance as mm-hmm. like this glimmer of hope was just so perfect and beautiful. And I couldn't imagine it ending any other way. I don't know, guys. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> gushing now, right? Okay, I'm done. I'm good. <laughs> well, I think maybe one of the reasons why the others felt the ending was rushed was because I think that was the most action-packed scene throughout the whole book and when there's action it usually goes faster anyway you, you know what I mean? yeah. yeah you know I feel like this is a common criticism in books actually mm-hmm. that like death scenes happen too fast and I think that's because we're used to watching movies where they'll slow it down and they'll do all these yeah. sorts of things and they'll create this tension this moment but on the written page when someone dies it you know it- you it keep just reading, happens. Yeah. yeah, it keeps going. <laughs> there's not like, a, exactly, there's not like a special effect that you get to see. There's not like, you know, cut to something. And mm. it, it is what it is. Um, and so, I, but I do feel like that's probably a common, uh, a pretty common statement, I think, for people. Yeah. And I think, you know, it has to do also with what we were talking about before, how a lot of people wanted it to be more plot driven. You know, when at the end of a plot driven book, you reach the, you know, the big climax where the good guy faces the bad guy and the bad guy dies, you know, generally speaking, that doesn't always happen. But the bad guy dies and then, you know, there's resolution. And then they go shawarma. Then they go shawarma. And then they go shawarma. Right. (laughs) And so this book, you know, it's missing shawarma. Is that what you're saying? It was missing shawarma. No, I think more it's missing the whole good guy versus bad guy kind of sensation because the point of the book was not that Kirsten needed to face up against the prophet. The point of the book was Kirsten had a destination and the prophet was simply an obstacle. So she got past the obstacle and continued on her journey. And as you mentioned, her journey continues at the end with the lights and her seeking out the, her next adventure. And I think that's sort of the beautiful thing about this book is the characters just continue on their journeys at the end or they don't, you know, yeah. in the case of the prophet. But um, I think that's what people wanted to see was that wrap up that resolution. And I'm literally getting chills over here, even as you talk about it. <laughs> You're right. That isn't the point. It's not the point. And I do. I, I love that. And I appreciate that. It's not the point because I liked that it was a character driven novel. Um, And I liked the fact, I mean, we were talking about the jumping through time. It's another reason why I like that jumping through time. You have times before with the characters. You have times after with the characters. You have times during this end of the world event with them. You really understand who they are. You relate to them. You understand Mm -hmm. where their journeys have come from and where they're going. And that was awesome to me. (laughs) Um, I listened to the audio book for this. And it was it was good, 
but that was my concern with jumping through time is I didn't really have a reference, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so I, I was really afraid I was going to really throw me off because then I'd have to readjust my thinking to like, okay, so I'm just hopping to this character instead of turning a page and then like focusing on like, okay, now I'm on this character. You know what I mean? Um, but I didn't, I found that I didn't really have that big of a problem with it. Um, she did a, a good job of just switching from character to character. So it didn't feel like you were going to get lost in all of the time, time shuffling. I agree. Right. I, I, I split my time on this book reading and audiobooking it cause I was doing it while traveling. And so I, if I was like on a long, you know, train ride or something where I can't read, I'd go ahead and plug in my earphones. And I agree. Yeah. I thought the novel did a particularly good job in audio format of really making it like not a hard, not a jarring experience in any way. Yeah. Yeah. I even felt that way in print because I read the whole thing in print, but I felt that way in print. I mean, there were very clear transitions, like the transitions were so clear that the first couple of times they were actually almost jarring to me because I was like, whoa, that was like a perfectly smooth transition (laughs) because it would be like Clark saying, oh, I remember that dinner. And then the next chapter would be Miranda's anniversary dinner where Mm -hmm. everything goes wrong. And I'm like, whoa, that was just like a beautiful transition. I almost didn't realize I was with another character, except I was. Yeah. It was so well done. Yeah, so let's um, delve into the characters a little bit. Um, obviously, they were very different people um, that we're following. Which character did you relate to the most? Ooh, that's they were hard. all so relatable. Yeah, they, I think, were. Like, they were. I, I still haven't even... I said I was going to update my review of this book because I was so overwhelmed after I finished it. I loved it so much. Um, but all I think I wrote was this may be the most relatable book I've ever read. I've read in years. That sounds I, familiar. <laughs> I still, I still, I still agree with myself. <laughs> Surprise. Um, Miranda, I think is my most relatable character. I, I totally get Miranda. I totally get her choices. Um, I think she's just so real to me. They're all so real to me. Um, they're very flawed. Everybody's very flawed, but not flawed in like character, character, caricature. Thank you. Thank you to myself for correcting myself. Um, in a Are you okay way. over there, Tara? Hey, I'm fine. A little ill, a little, if you hear me coughing guys, I apologize. Um, but, but yeah, but uh, you know, they're just really, really real to me. I don't know. What do you think, Jeanette? Um, that was really hard um, because it kind of depended on where in time we were, like before the apocalypse. Like it's really Miranda. Like I really related to Miranda and what she's going through and how she feels. And like she's I mean, she went through a lot of stuff, guys. She does. <laughs> and I just felt like I felt bad. And I was like, I understand what is happening. And I'm sorry. Um. But then later, I think I relate more to um, Clark, actually. Uh, yeah. I love Clark, and I love the way um, there's a line, which I should have quoted, um, and I forgot to do it, but he basically is talking about how he's drinking a cup of coffee, I want to say, and he's recognizing that later he's going to think about this coffee and how he drank it, and he's thinking about the moment, like, with a wistfulness that, you know, he hasn't felt yet. It's the way he describes it. And I'm like, I, I get that when you're having such a good moment and you know that it's not going to last. And you just want to hold on to it because you know the memory of it is going to come back later. Yeah, there's and, a couple of, of moments like that in the book, right, where they talk about memories. and Yeah. And just the way that Clark handles the memories and handles the situation you know he's dealing you can tell that it's having an impact on him and he's dealing with it so calmly and at the same time he's feeling it so deeply right and I just really loved that about him I feel like Clark's a very beautiful soul I really agree yep well I mean I think it takes someone special to think about 
creating the museum and the airport, you know? Right. Like, what kind of person would be like, oh, this could one day be, mean something. You know, we should save this so people can look back and remember what the kind of things that we had. Um, most people would just be like, this is junk, or this is useless, or how can I salvage parts, and, you know? <laughs> right. Um, and that's what you would see in most other mm-hmm. end-of-the-world novels. Right, right. Um, I mean, they even save, like, the most insignificant in, insignificant things like credit cards. Like you can't use a credit card in that time now. You know, right. all the machines IDs. are broken. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, those are little things people wouldn't even think to save, but he decides to save those pieces of um, humanity, you know? And that, that is really beautiful. So I, I, I like Clark. I don't know if I can relate to Clark, but I do like him. <laughs> my, my favorite Clark moment was when he shaved his head. Hmm. Oh, that was a fun one. Yeah, yeah. when he, like, shaved half his head, he was just like, yeah, no, this is what I did in 18. And he's like, and for the first time, I really feel like myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I thought that was a great secondary message, too, about this novel, was that, um, you know, our current life's trappings are sometimes exactly that. They're traps that take you away from yourself. And that, you know, when you go through something, like what they went through in this book, The Georgian Flu, you kind of find out, more of who you really are. And in Clark's specific storyline, you know, he was a bit safer in the airport and he really just had this chance to sort of be him, uh, yeah. be himself again. It was just such a great moment, like so freeing. Yeah. And he took it like he recognized it and he took it like, as opposed to like some of the other people who were like, we can't take this, you know, Mexican food. Somebody needs to leave behind <laughs> oh, the credit yeah. card. And Clark is like, no, I'm taking this moment to be free. I'm taking this moment to be myself. Yeah. 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 He recognizes what's happening for what is happening. Yeah. And he, you know, and instead of, oh, even though it's impacting him and he's frightened and sad and worried, he's like, I'm going to seize this moment and do what I can with it. Yeah. And he's a very observant person. Like, I think he's just a really special character in the book because of the, the type of person that um, the author made him out to be. Yeah. Um, but like, even just his observation, like, and he knows his limits as a person, right? He's very oh, aware yeah. of himself. Like when he observes, it's Tyler, right? Tyler's the prophet's name. Yeah. The yeah. kid. Mm-hmm. When he observes that Tyler's being like weird and like reading Bible quotes to the dead plane. Oh my gosh. Out in the yeah. distance. And he's just like, well, that's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to talk to Miranda about that. Talks to Mar- not Miranda. Sorry. Um, Elizabeth. Who's the Elizabeth. third wife? Elizabeth. Oh, no, second wife. Elizabeth. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go talk to Elizabeth about that. Elizabeth's just like, yeah, no, I totally agree with him. And he's like, well, that's all I had. That was it. <laughs> and I think, I think he recognized that there was something wrong in that scenario with Elizabeth and Tyler earlier because the first time I connected Tyler with the prophet was actually long before he pulled out his Bible. It was when he was still playing his Nintendo. And I was like, there's something wrong here. That's the prophet, isn't it? Right. This huge amount of tragedy is happening all around this kid. And he, yeah, he's just really indifferent. in no way paying attention. Yep. Yeah. It was very weird. And Clark's like, this kid is playing Nintendo. And I'm like, I think you mean a DS. But anyways, um, <laughs> point being, I was like, yeah, no, there's something going on with the, these people. Oh my gosh. Tyler's going to grow up to be the prophet. This is frightening. <laughs> and then it kept going and Clark's like, yep, yep. This is going bad. I was like, I agree with you, Clark. I agree. <laughs> well, so but, he was relieved because yeah. they left and he's like, okay, I don't have to handle this problem. <laughs> yeah. And I think this you has know, now become someone else's yep. issue. <laughs> and I think he recognized you know, as you were saying, Tara, I think he recognized there's not a whole lot I can do to handle this problem. I wish there were, right. but I don't think there's anything I can do. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Um, anyways, oh, so for me, <laughs> it's like stuck on Clark over here. <laughs> um, cool. I, I was like a cross between a Kirsten and Jeevan. Um, because they handled like the survival differently, but in ways that I can see myself handling a a crisis, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Um, so I, I really related to them. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm down with this. Like before you weren't sure what you were doing with your life. You weren't sure which direction to go. This crisis happens and you make the best of it. You help as many people as possible in Jeevan's case. And, uh, you, you know, found love, you start a family and you try to live your life as a good person and, you know, happily with your family. Like I can relate to that. <laughs> like I would, I would try to do that if I could, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's a really sweet way and a a good way to handle a crisis instead of, you know, being a bandit and trying to scavenge and just take everything that you can in order to get a uh, leverage to against other people. You know what I mean? Like, no, absolutely. Chickens really are only true look into year one. Yeah. She spends a large part of it in his brother's apartment. Yeah. Um, Yep. But, you know, other than a little bit of Clark in the airport, but that really is sort of its own thing. Um, and, you know, I think he's the perfect person to introduce us to, the, uh, to that because he is a healer. Mm-hmm. He is a caretaker. That is his main motivation. So we get a, a sort of a gentler, <laughs> you know, a gentler outlook into year one. Whereas if we were with Kirsten and her brother or... Um, oh, I would not want to read that. We would not want that, right? <laughs> no. I mean, I'm, I'm happy oh. for the insight we have on what possibly occurred then, but I don't, I'm good not having mm-hmm. it. You know? Same. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think um, do you, when you are looking at Jeevan's year one, you can see how horrible, how tragic it is, and you get the full impact of that in a much, you know, much more manageable way. I mean, yeah. Jeevan has yes. to make terrible decisions. Oh, He's thinking yeah. through terrible thoughts. But because of who he is and how the scene is presented, you can be much calmer about it. It's not quite so traumatic, yep. even though it's a lot of traumatic events he's going through. Right. Yeah. Just I, So, yeah. And then with Kirsten, thank goodness we didn't have to learn about her year one. <laughs> um, I know. Um, but how she handles herself after, um, I think is really cool. Um, just the traveling symphony in general. I think they just formed a really great nomadic community. I I can't believe that's the first time anyone has said the words traveling symphony because that is, God, I love the traveling symphony. I'm sorry. Continue, Susan. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there. (laughs) Um, um, but I'm, it's, it's a really good community. I mean, they obviously had their issues, but they also mentioned like they make it work and, you know, they work together. And I think that I would have loved to find, find a community like that if something were to happen, um, to survive together, you know, I and totally not be agree. alone. So yeah, I just, oh, these are just such great characters. <laughs> they really, really are. Um, so why don't we, uh, go to talk about the traveling symphony a little bit um um, since we're just talking about kirsten i mean uh, if we must (laughs) i know um let's start with their motto um survival is insufficient um which is a quote from star trek voyager star trek voyager doesn't get enough love Captain Janeway, love you. That's, that's <laughs> the one I was really into, so. Yes, yes. Um, Janeway, I mean, Voyager, I think, is the Star Trek that got me into Star Trek. Yeah. Spoiler alert, guys, Same. I love Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Janeway is a badass. Um, oh, yes. Um, survival is insufficient. Possibly the entire point of this novel probably is, considering how much they emphasis they put on this quote but it is perfect um survival is insufficient i mean there's they you know in the book they talk about these feral people in the woods who they're technically surviving and what they do is they ransack people they'll kill people they'll eat people they'll eat whatever they can come across they are ravagers essentially if you're familiar with firefly that's survival that is a type of survival living is not enough and that is the point of this book that continuing art, continuing learning, um, moving society forward in a way that looks like society. (laughs) That is what it means to be human as opposed to being an animal. Um, and the traveling symphony, which isn't just a symphony guys, it's also Shakespeare troupe, thus the general book talk. (laughs) Um, 
and they'll do performances and then they'll do um, Shakespeare plays and you know they come to a town and all the people get together to watch them and it's this really exciting thing whenever they come to a town and it's just such a wonderful idea I'm totally with you Susan if I if I was to be stuck in a post-apocalyptic world and I was one of the survivors I would want to join up with 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 people like this and uh, just what a fantastic idea what a fantastic concept (laughs) well that's why they kind of focus um mostly on Shakespeare too as they mention like most people just seem to love the Shakespeare plays you know no matter which ones they do out of all the ones every like it's a consensus like everybody just comes together more with Shakespeare than they do with the other things they perform what I was going to say was that it's interesting because actually the weekend before I read Station Eleven, I was having this conversation with my husband, and we were talking. He was at he was like I think he was trying to trap me honestly, and he was like, <laughs> "What are your favorite authors? What are your favorite books?" Blah blah blah. Because I read so much, and I was talking about Shakespeare as one of like my, my favorite things, and he's like, "Really?" And I'm like, "I get that it's cliche, but think about it. This is a." A collection of works that has lasted hundreds of years, even yeah. though people don't even speak the same way anymore, mm-hmm. because it's not about the words, just the words. It's about the themes. It's about their presentation. It's about the way these words are put together and organized. And I think that's something very universal. Like, there's a lot you can find in Shakespeare, even if you're not a Shakespeare fan, which I think is why there's so many adaptations of it. So it is something that I f- could see surviving some th- yeah. a big tragedy like this because and, there's still something to be gained from it. And I love taking new people to see um, works where we use a lot of the words or, or, or um, phrases from that work, but nobody knows it. Like, oh, um, yeah. you know, taking someone who's never read or seen Hamlet to a Hamlet performance, they're like, I've heard half of those lines. And I'm like, of course you have. Of course you <laughs> Or you go to Twelfth Night if music be the food of love. Oh yeah, music be the food of love. Exactly. Like there is so many things we steal and people say that nobody knows right. that it came from a Shakespeare play. Um, I did not mean for that to rhyme, by the way. It just, just <laughs> happened like magic. Um, well, it happens when you talk Shakespeare. But, yeah, I mean, and I, I think that's kind of part of this survival is insufficient is there's these themes and these cultures they are lasting throughout the ages now they're going to continue on um it's just parts of who we are as humans yeah and i think that's what the traveling symphony is kind of representing is part of the culture that you know is making us human is making us a society in the same way that clark's museum that we reference, that's kind of part of mm-hmm. what makes our human society. Well, and I, I love that Shakespeare does live on even past the apocalypse. Like there's just <laughs> part of me that really just enjoys that. But, um, you know, they talk about this actually in the book too. They say, you know, the characters have this discussion, like why Shakespeare? Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons is the reasons we've all said that, you know, it's, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's survived. There's these universal themes. People just love it so much. But also, Shakespeare's lifetime was plagued by, I shouldn't have used that word, but what was plagued by the plague. You know, um, <laughs> I really shouldn't have. You know, um, constantly, every week, theaters were closing. Things were being shut down. People were dying in mass. And his message was really, or his plays were really built around this time period to sort of elevate people out of that in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And so there's this sort of universalness about that through these two time periods, through like the plague versus the Georgian flu and helping people rise out of their circumstance through this art. You know, again, like you said, Jeanette, survival is insufficient. It is that. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, it's one of the ways to take us to, take a theme and you know to hold on to it is to see how it is mirrored in your own life so definitely i agree with you that that plague um is important yep so we should all i was gonna say we should all just get together when it's the end of the world 
you know, hell or high water, we all need to come together to form our own traveling symphony. <laughs> Done. We'll, we'll meet in the middle. <laughs> so note to self, the world starts to end, grab my Shakespeare collection. Got it. Exactly. Right. And then head west, Go to I'll Tennessee. head east. <laughs> like Tennessee, is that where we're thinking? Uh, What's no. the middle? <laughs> I feel like the southern part of like the Midwest area. Ish. All right, we'll figure it out. Yeah, that's Anyways. an offline conversation. <laughs> we'll, we'll plan Hopefully, our apocalypse planning. There you offline. go. <laughs> Hopefully, we've got time, guys. <laughs> I mean, knock on wood, right? <laughs> the, George, the point is, the Georgian flu just happened out of nowhere, right? That's the point. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, it never just know. started over in Georgia, and then it, the country, it came over. not the state. Yes, the country. Yeah. <laughs> um. So let's talk about the um, the end of the novel. Let's go back to Clark for a minute, because um, I really find this fascinating. Um, is that in the end, Clark is remembering the dinner party again, and imagine somewhere in the world that ships are sailing. Why did the author choose to end the novel with him? I feel like because you couldn't end the novel with Miranda. Like this is this sounds really terrible, but um. I feel like Clark thinking about ships and thinking about Miranda brings Miranda back. Like Miranda, although she dies pretty early in the book or, you know, we know she doesn't survive early in the, in the flu epidemic, in the flu epidemic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Her in a lot of ways, she's the thing that um, pieces it all together. You know, her comic, um, her legacy is, is the framework around the novel in a lot of ways for me. Um, so I think Clark remembering the dinner party and thinking where Miranda might be and thinking about those ships. And I think the ships are particularly important because having ships sailing, um, you know, is really like the recreation of a new world. Like when people sailed out of Europe to go and discover the Indies and discover America, like it's really imagining ships sailing is really saying that we are going to continue. We are going to, rebuild um in a in an industrial way but you know in a very human way too uh yeah. so yeah i think it was a way to bring miranda back uh and to have her really at the end and close out that framework and i think it was also to again drive home the point of um maybe there is some it, that last glimmer of hope yeah, not last glimmer of hope but a, that there is that hope that there are people out there that are finding a way yeah, I agree. Because the uh, the connections between the people in this book and the like, all the different characters, it all focuses around um, Arthur and Miranda, mostly with Arthur, but a, a lot with Miranda's um, comic as well. And Clark is the only one who has seen it, seen the whole thing through from beginning to end. Right, and so it makes actually the most sense to end with Clark because he's the one who can sort of like envision where this started and where it ends because he and Arthur were young together. He saw the beginning of like Arthur's track. He's seen these people intersect with Arthur's life, even though he might not recognize it. Like I'm sure he wouldn't recognize Jeevan anywhere. Right. Um, but He's seen all this happening. And so that reflection does bring it full circle. And I think I agree that the ships, they're, um, they're a symbol of hope. It's hope and exploration. I mean, it is the reason why, you know, so much of science fiction is about spaceships sailing through space. That's like the beginning and end of every space show ever is a ship to seek out sailing. new lives and yeah. new civilizations <laughs> to boldly go. Yeah. And, it, and, and not just Star Trek. I wasn't going to make know. another Star Trek reference, <laughs> but yes, Star Trek, but Firefly, <laughs> Battlestar. I mean, it's the reason why there's hope in that exploration. Oh my, I can't believe we haven't talked more about Battlestar during this entire thing. Battlestar is a great. It is. It really ties in. <laughs> it really does relate a lot. Actually. Yep. Okay, um, sorry. Another about episode. Continuing we'll episode. Episode. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> in, in our wrap up 
um, in our wrap up uh, end of the year episode, we'll talk about how we wish we talked more about Battlestar. If you guys would like to talk about Battlestar, find us on Twitter or on Goodreads. There you go. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, Susan, continue. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, I completely agree with what you guys were saying. Like, I think that is exactly why Clark had to be the end. Um, with Kirsten, um, there was like a continuation with her going towards the lights. But with Clark, he just had that hope, but he wasn't going anywhere, you know? So you don't have the feeling like we're going off into this more of like a thought more than an action. So I kind of like that. Yeah, I think if it it had continued with Kirsten, it would have felt more incomplete because then you would have been like, well, now I want to see the lights, which, of course, I I wanted to know anyways. But I think by ending with Clark, you feel more at peace with the idea that, Mm -hmm. no, that's not where we're going here. Yes, I agree. Yep. All right, then. um, So final question. Did you like it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I guess it was okay. I mean... (laughs) I loved um, it. <laughs> no, it was really good. I found it really, really enjoyable. I'm going to totally reread this again. one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I barely ever reread a book. I will reread this one. Yeah. I've, yeah. I can see myself rereading this book, too. Yeah. This is a book that I would own and reread. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I rented this. I'm buying it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, think, I was just thinking, version. I think I borrowed this as well. So yeah, now this I'm going to have to buy it. Yeah, this is a library book for me. So <laughs> off to the oh, bookstore. Yeah. Like, of course, the one book I love, I actually borrowed, you know, I know right? <laughs> but then like others I buy and like, I don't, I'm not going to read it ever again. <laughs> so the world. <laughs> yeah. You lend um, those ones out and you don't care about it. Okay. Well, I mean, they're ebooks though. Oh, well, yeah. No, I have so many ebooks. I'll never reread. So yeah, many. Well, Amazon, like, you cold mistress. I know. You. Seriously. <laughs> uh, luckily, they don't take up a lot of space. So that's true. um okay then our next book for our eclectic readers book club is going to be blankets by craig thompson and this one is actually a graphic novel yay Yay. but it's like a 800 page graphic novel yeah kind of serious because yeah. uh, sculpture was kind of thick, too. Sculpture was thick. So, yeah, we've done one yep. of these within the last year. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think we did year? sculpture yeah, last just year. December, I believe. Yeah, I was going to say, I had um, I had my baby then, so. Yeah, I think yeah. it was December to January, because I believe I read the sculpture as part of uh, our readathon last year. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. Well, yeah. clearly. So, um, we've done this semi-recently, but hey, graphic novels are great. Um, and this one is highly recommended, so I'm looking yes. forward to it. Yeah, I've heard good things about Craig Thompson's work, so I'm really yeah. excited. Me too. Well, it looks like we've come to the end, so um, show notes, as always, you can find on our website, which is sunriserobot.net slash eclecticreaders, and for this episode, it's going to be sunriserobot.net slash eclecticreaders slash 24 because it's our 24th episode. <laughs> um, so, guys, uh, where can they find you, Susan? Uh, people can find me on Goodreads under Sue Lyons or the Eclectic Readers Goodreads page. Um, they can also find me on Twitter at Rudy Kaicho. That's R-U-R-I underscore K-A-I-C-H-O-U. And on Litzy. Woo! Yay! Litzy is up for Android, and it's a lot of fun, guys. So... Um, you can look me up there under Ludi Kaicho as well. Um, and I've, it's been fantastic so far. I'm liking it. How about you, Jeanette? Well, you can find me on Goodreads as well at JMT Rivera or on our Goodreads page. And on Litzy at the same name, JMT Rivera, I too am really enjoying my introduction to Litzy. It's been about three weeks. Super, super excited. Um, and I, you can also find me on Twitter at Dr. Jeanette, that's D-R-J-E-A-N-N-E-T-T-E. How about so you, Tara? I got super lucky, and my Twitter and my Litzy handle are the same, and it's my name. I do not <laughs> know how. There are lots of Tara Newmans out there, by the way. Like, you would be surprised. They're not as um, nerdy as you, Tara. I clearly, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. If I'm the nerdiest Tara, I'm great with that. Um, so 
Twitter and Litzy, both Tara Newman, T-A-R-A-N-A-W-M-A-N. And you can always find me on our Goodreads page at Eclectic Readers. Uh, hang out there quite a bit. Um, also want to give a big shout out to our Patreon supporters. Special thanks to Benji Robinson, Carolyn Kraut, and Joan Edwards. You know, um, if you guys like what we do and you can find it in your heart to support us, please go to sunriserobot.net slash support. Uh, we'd, we'd really appreciate it. Um, of course, you know, remember to su- subscribe for us in your favorite podcatcher um, so you never miss an episode. And, you know, really important, if you want other book nerdy people to find us, and I hope you do, uh, please rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps. Um, all right, guys. Well, I think that's it. So let's shelve this until next month. All right. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.